Hello, friends, and welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. Today's guest on the podcast is Paige Klassen. Paige is a professional rock climber and is one of the top female sport climbers in the world, having climbed more than two dozen 514s, including two 14Ds, Algorithm at the Fins in Idaho, and Shadowboxing in Rifle, Colorado. We talked about pre-send rituals and some of the reminders that Paige tells herself before tying in on a hard project. We talked about the breathing techniques Paige uses and how they help her click into the moment while climbing. We talked about how she changed her diet to improve recovery and how that allowed her to get more out of her training. We talked about how Paige structures her indoor bouldering sessions to work on strength and power, as well as how she approaches her outdoor sessions while working on a project. Why climbing is more fun when she focuses on learning from each attempt. About recent favorite crag snacks and some of her favorite meals to cook on a budget. Paige is also the founder of the Southern Africa Education Fund, a nonprofit organization Paige started in 2016 to build new classrooms in rural Africa. And we talked a bit about how that got started and what's happening now. And we also talked about why Paige is interested in mentorship and in passing on some of the things she's learned. This was a really fun and interesting episode with a ton of takeaways, and I think you guys will get at least a couple good nuggets out of it. Please enjoy this conversation with Paige Klassen. All right, coming to you live from my closet. <laughs> Do you want to uh, take a moment to tell listeners where you're sitting right now? <laughs> Due to sound quality, I have moved the recording station to my bedroom closet. So I'm in my office chair in the closet. Office chair in the closet. Is it an empty closet? What else you got going on in there? No, no, it's very full. That's why it's good for audio because it has a lot of clothes. So, yeah, no empty walls. <laughs> Well, thank you again. Thank you so much for getting on the call today and for relocating your office chair to your closet so that we could have better sound quality. I really appreciate <laughs> no it. Paige, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you might be the most mentioned person on the podcast so far. I think you've been mentioned in four different episodes. What? I mean, I could maybe expect the Yurdens, but I don't know who else would be. <laughs> Both the Yurdens. I think Jonathan mentioned you when he was talking about algorithm and the Finns. And oh, okay, I yeah. think Tara mentioned you as well. I'd have to go back and, and listen through that one, but I think you were mentioning oh, that one Tara. as well. Tara Kersner. Cool. Something really interesting came out of the Ian conversation, and I thought we could start with talking about Frangog. Oh, Frangog is such a gem. Frangog is, he's our favorite Scottish cow on the way to Smith Rock. His home is 30 seconds from the Smith Rock parking lot. And he now has a selection of friends. He used to be the only cow in his pasture, but now there's a few Scottish cows. It's a bit confusing who's who, but Frangog is the original. And the historic moment was when Ian actually pet Frangog. Frangog came <laughs> close enough, held still, and Ian got to pet him through the fence. So that was really exciting. So I posted a, fo a photo of that exact moment on my Instagram for the Nugget Climbing. 
And I was hoping to talk to you about it. And I think you actually reached out and commented on that photo. And you just wrote Fran Gog. And I was like, what is happening here? (laughs) (laughs) These people are weird. Yeah, I mean, Ian and Kristen are my family. I call them my second parents. And I always stay with them when I come out to Smith Rock. And we watch a lot of Vikings. That's how we motivate for climbing. And then Fran Gog came, I think, sort of from Vikings we were researching just names from that era, and that seemed to be a fitting one for our favorite cow. So, That's perfect. Yeah, they still update me every time they drive past and see Frangog. <laughs> I love it. Yep. So we have limited time today, so I want to jump right into some, some questions about your climbing. Cool. Another thing that came up in the interview with Ian that I couldn't wait to talk to you about was that he told a story about you climbing on Just Do It. I think he was back there belaying you the day that you sent. Yes, he was very kind to come back and blame me a lot. He and Kristen both did. But I mean, it's really cool back there. But also the hike is a little bit heinous and there's not a lot back there. So it's not like there's just options. It's not, you can't go cragging. You're kind of stuck up on this ledge and there's Just Do It. (laughs) And then, you know, there's the routes to the right, but they're like a little bit more logistically involved. And so Ian was working the first pitch of Just Do It, which is an amazing line. It's really cool. And then I was working on on the full Just Do It. So we had a lot of fun back there. That's awesome. He told a story about kind of the moment when you realize like, oh my gosh, I need to do this thing right now. It sounds like a bunch of hot weather was coming in. You had just had a really close try, maybe the previous session. And then... I think immediately before you sent, you had a try that was kind of like a, like a mulligan, like you like climbed to the fourth bolt and slipped or something like that. Totally. And I actually reached out to him prior to this interview and he had, he raised a question for you that is the same question that I have, which is, is there anything that you tell yourself in that moment when it's do or die time? It seems like you're really, really good at accessing that like full commitment, full try hard give it everything in that moment when it counts. Is there anything that you tell yourself when you're tying in and you feel the pressure on like that? Hmm. I mean, that's a really good question. I think there's a lot of little things I tell myself and then that kind of adds up to being able to throw down and try super hard. I guess I'll start with my training. Um, I say the last maybe, well, I guess it was a long time ago now. Maybe 10 years ago, I tried the hardest I could ever try for the first time. And I don't think I'd ever tapped into that try hard potential before. And so that moment I was climbing on Grand Ole Opry, a route at the monastery actually. And I was like, oh my gosh, every single muscle in my body just engaged to do this one move. And that's when I realized how hard I could try. Wow. And so I've carried that with me to other projects. And I think we're all capable of trying really, really, really hard. And often you see that in beginner climbers oddly where you're just like how are they staying on the wall even if their technique is terrible and like all kinds of things could improve but they're trying so hard and I think we lose some of that as we become more experienced and the longer we climb because we expect things to feel perfect Mm. especially when we're working on a route like you know exactly how your foot should be you know exactly how your body should feel you know how the conditions should be And so we're like waiting for this perfect moment where everything lines up and that just never happens. Like that's so rare. And so I try and remind myself that every time I've sent a route that I'm proud of, 
it was never perfect. Like I messed up somewhere on the route. The conditions were not ideal. Often they're like the worst they ever have been. <laughs> and so maybe that's like the low pressure mentality where you're like, well, you know, the conditions aren't great. So I'm just going to try and see what happens, but there's no pressure and that can always help. Or like I'll have a stomach ache and, you know, there's just something that's off or an excuse I could use. But I try and remind myself, okay, I've sent in the past when things weren't perfect. And on Just Do It, it was starting to get really hot. It was like end of May, early June, I think. And so the monkey's nice because it stays cooler than the front side of Smith and the wind really whips back there. So you can climb in late May, early June. But um, I knew that it was starting to get hot and like holding on to those sharp holds at Smith. I mean, you know, it's just like you need it to be a little bit cold or dry or windy or something mm -hmm. <laughs> um, or you're just ripping up your skin and and like friction's important there. And so there was that pressure. But I'd also had a really successful burn on my previous session. I fell maybe on one of the last hard moves at the very top, kind of where you wouldn't really expect to fall. Okay. But I did. It's not easy up there, but I was like through most of the really hard moves. And I fell, but I I could be totally wrong, but I don't remember being disappointed. Because, I mean, there's always a disappointment when you're that close, but I remember being more surprised that I got through everything. And that was one of the first routes I'd worked where I had made progression with each attempt. Normally, you like have good days and bad days and go up and down. And with that route, it was just like a little bit of progression each day, which was really interesting. But that day, the wind wasn't awesome. So it was like pretty stale back there. And I remember I had felt super tired on the hike. Like I'd never had to stop and rest on a hike before. And that day, I think I paused like catch my breath and let my legs recover. So I was like, oh, I don't feel super like strong and energized today. And then, yeah, I had a burn, fell at the fourth bolt, which like that first pitch is hard. Um, I don't mm -hmm. think it gets credit, but it's kind of like to bolt almost, where it's just like that really thin technical precision climbing. It's 13D on its own, right? It's 13D, I think. And you could fall wherever, like it's all difficult. So I slipped off, came back down. Someone walked up and wanted to try just do it. And so they kind of went bolt to bolt for like an hour and a half. And I was like, oh, you know, at this point, like, I don't think today's my day. It doesn't feel great out. I feel tired. I've been sitting here for a while. And then I hopped back on. And I think you have all these thoughts leading up to getting on the wall. But once you're on the wall, I'm pretty good about letting all of those go. So whether I'm nervous or you know, thinking about conditions or whatever it is. Once I'm on the wall, I just start taking really deep breaths, like really audibly. And that distracts my mind completely. And it, it totally brings me into the moment. And so all I'm thinking about is, I don't even know what I'm thinking about because I'm not thinking about the moves. I think that's the cool thing about projecting is you've done the moves so many times that your body knows what to do. Mm. You kind of just have to turn your brain off so that it's not doubting or you know, fearful or whatever it is that, that blocks you. And so I don't know. I love clicking into that mode where you're just, your body's just climbing and your mind is like, who knows where. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then suddenly you're like, oh my gosh, I'm at the top or like I'm at a big rest. And then you have to slow your heart rate down. And I just love that whole process. So anyway, I got a little sidetracked, but back to your question, there's a bunch of little things I do before I give a red point attempt when I think I'm like really close 
for a while, and I think I was doing this during Just Do It, I would eat an apple before every red point attempt. And for some reason, it's like, you know, they're all just quirks that we have, and they might not do anything at all, but to us, you know, whatever makes you feel like you're clicking into that moment. So at the time, eating an apple and then... Specific kind of apple or just anything? I mean, whatever's available. (laughs) A crispy one, a nice one. And recently, I've worked with a biokineticist in South Africa, and she showed me these different activation points on my body. One's like between two ribs, pretty high on my chest. Another is my inner thigh, and the other is my psoas muscles. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, it's actually really interesting. She'll like test uh, my resistance, so... I'll like have to raise my arm in the air and she'll push against it and I have to resist. And the first time it'll just like fall down, like she can just push it over. And then she does these activation points and tests it again and I can just hold it like rigid. And it's crazy how much of a difference it makes. And so I've started doing these activation points before red point attempts and, you know, maybe it's mental, but I definitely think there's some science behind it. I just don't know what that science is. Um, (laughs) and I think it's really helpful and it also makes you think like, oh, I'm doing something to help me get to that point where I'm ready. And I think that's a lot of what it is, is just like, what are the things you can do that make you feel like you've prepared yourself? And that's different for all of us, but those are some of the things I do. That is so interesting. As far as that activation technique, is, is there a name for that? Is there something that I could point people to? I have no idea. Um, I'd actually like to ask her about it because she's not a climber. And I don't even know what the equivalent of a biokineticist in the United States is. Mm -hmm. But yeah, she helps everyday people with pain. And she's helped me a lot. And these activation points were like really quite cool because it's something I can do to myself. It's not like you need a professional to do them, Mm -hmm. which I think is really awesome. So yeah, that's the quirk I I currently am using. Cool. The apple is the apples out the window at this point. I mean, sometimes I'll have an apple and I'll be like, oh, yeah, that used to be a thing. (laughs) Um, So I don't know. You like go in and out of methods and then forget things and come back to them a few years later. I'd love to ask you more about the breath. I've heard you talk about that in the past and how important it is for you to just breathe really audibly. And I remember an article that you wrote or an interview that you did about like how vulnerable that was at first and how it took you time to get comfortable enough with that or just to let go of embarrassment or whatever else. But I'm curious what that looks like. Is that something, are you doing that the entire way up the route or just at specific sections? Um, Pretty much the entire way. So like I know in bouldering or also in hard sport climbing, people like hold their breath on hard moves, like kind of intentionally to keep tension. And I think I do that naturally, but I try and consciously breathe through the whole route. So that starts on the ground even if like the first eight bolts are inconsequential climbing i'll just breathe through the whole thing and i think that obviously that helps get oxygen to your muscles and so prevents you from getting pumped or helps you de-pump in the moment but for me it's really about the sound and so it's like really loud deep breaths like and so it's slow it's loud i'm like filling my lungs up and that's all I can hear. And so I think that's part of why I don't think about much when I'm climbing Hmm. is because um, I'm just focusing on that rhythm. And it gives kind of like 
like a drum beat. It sort of helps pace me. It's distracting. It's also calming. And then obviously the oxygen is like a bonus. But that first came up. My One of my coaches when I was on the youth team in Estes Park, Michelle Herney, she would make me take a big, deep breath before I made a clip. And she would like short rope me if I didn't breathe so that I couldn't clip. It's like I had to breathe before I made a clip. And it was so annoying. And (laughs) um, it's like one of those things when you're young and your coach makes you do something and you're like, oh, this sucks. And then down the road, you're like, wow, that was really, that like shaped the way I climb now. Wow. Yeah. So that's kind of how it started. And then it's cool because I'll watch friends climb and they hold their breath. Like they're not breathing. And as soon as you say breathe, they just like release all the air that was inside of them. And, <laughs> and you can just see their bodies relax. And I've had a few friends who like struggle with fear or getting really intimidated. And they've incorporated this like audible breathing from the ground and have said it's super helpful and has kind of changed their climbing as well. So it's just such an easy thing that like you don't have to train, you don't have to do anything just breathe (laughs) (laughs) just breathe people (laughs) yeah and like yeah it's really loud and so at first especially I think where I started with it was in the gym and so there's people around and it's kind of a weird thing to do but um I think if you can just get past that and like have your partner hold you accountable they should be able to hear you breathe the whole way Hmm. and they can remind you if you're not and so I think that's something that's really helpful cool Thanks for all that. I want to ask a couple more pointed questions on that. That example breath that you gave, was that in through your nose, out through your mouth? Yes. Okay. And is that does that change? I guess my question would be, are you controlling that drum beat, that rhythm throughout the route, or are you letting your breath come naturally and just making sure that it's audible? Um, I'm controlling it for a lot of the route. Obviously, like through hard sections, it's just natural because when all if I'm going through like a bouldery section and then I get to a rest, when I get to the rest, I'm out of breath. Like I'm breathing heavy and then I work to slow my breath back down. So that tells me that in those hard sections, I'm kind of like in the moment and just letting my body do its thing and that those hard moves ramp my breath up. But then wherever I can, I try and slow it back down. So you're kind of like bringing it back to baseline so that it can go back up to the hard moves and then bringing it back to baseline. And I think that's why I really like like roots like just do it that are quite powerful, but then have really good rests mm. is because I like those bouldery sections and then I can like recover and compose myself. And I'm really bad at pure endurance climbing or even power endurance climbing where um, you have to make use of pretty poor rests. And I just think one of my strengths is composing myself and everyone loves climbing on jugs. So, you know, having a really good rest is great. <laughs> so so I was reading a interview that you did on the Clipping Chains blog. Okay. And a couple things stood out from that. And I wanted to ask you in particular about Odin's eye. Yeah. It looked like from what you wrote in that post that that is still the route that you're most proud of. Does that still stand up? Um, I'm not sure. That was back in 2017. And I feel like whatever the most recent route I've done is, is what I'm most proud of. Like, the grade. And I think that's true for all of us. Like, you're just psyched on whatever you've just accomplished and each route holds its own special meaning. And Odin's eye, I'm definitely really proud of that one. And I think it's a bit different from other routes I've done because it's, it's really not my style. And I had to 
really specifically for it. And I think that's why it was quite meaningful to me. And that the preparation for that route has actually changed the trajectory of my climbing over the last few years. And I think that's also why it holds a lot of value for me. So basically in 2017, at the beginning of the year, I had broken my ankle in Fontainebleau on a highball. So I couldn't walk for six weeks and then it took a while to get back into climbing. And so over the summer I was researching, like, where do I want to go climbing in the fall? Like my ankle's solid and, you know, I want to try hard again and, and what's that place going to be? And so I was kind of just searching around. I mean, that's like a super privileged thing to be able to do is just like scan the internet for where you want to go climbing. (laughs) Um, but that's what I was doing. And I found a video of Ethan Pringle climbing Odin's eye. And over the years, I feel like Ethan and I really like a lot of the same routes. Like I'll be looking for something or be really psyched on a route and then find content about him doing it. And so I was like, Oh man, this looks really cool. And, but it's basically roof climbing. Like it's super steep. There are some really technical knee bars on it or one technical knee bar some heel hooks and a lot of toe hooks. And those are all things that I was previously really bad at. And so I was like, okay, I want to do this and I'm going to have to prepare. And so it wasn't just like, I need to get stronger or build power. It was like, I have to learn to toe hook. Hmm. And so my training changed a lot for that route and my eating did as well, because I just thought, you know, to build muscle and like to be prepared for this really burly style of climbing i think i need to be eating a lot more protein interesting okay we were in south africa at the time and they have a lot of like really high quality meat so that was a good place to be to like up your protein intake Uh it changed how i recover and i felt like from that time when i started like really training power and training some of those roof techniques and eating a lot of protein I could recover so much quicker and I just felt like my training was a lot more valuable. I would actually see gains rather than just training and then like, you know, maybe I would feel stronger, maybe not. Wow. And in the past, like I've often gotten frustrated with training because I don't see a lot of gains from it. And I've always just been like, you know, it kind of doesn't matter what shape I'm in. It's just where my mind's at. So like if I'm psyched and I can try hard, I can normally get through it. And if I'm not psyched, it doesn't matter how strong I am. There's no way. But this route kind of changed that where I was like, oh, I can train really specifically and like it works. And so that was quite revelatory for me. And since then, I've trained basically only bouldering and I don't love to boulder. I really don't like to boulder outside because I get scared. But even in the gym, I like to lead climb, but that doesn't help me at all because I feel like I can typically build endurance on a route. But power is what I really struggle with. So now when I go to the gym, I only boulder. I do some weightlifting occasionally and I do a lot of TRX just because it's like weightlifting, but with your body weight. So I feel like there's less risk of getting hurt. And it's made a huge difference in my climbing. Like I can do moves that I I never thought I would be capable of before. And now during coronavirus, we built a little home wall in our basement and it's pretty steep because our ceiling's short and the holds are all really bad. And we just train like really dynamic, big moves where your feet cut and you have to like control the swing and 
really engage your contact strength. So that kind of all plays into like how I trained for Odin's eye. And that was just the the route that forced me to change my my style. So that's been really cool. I'm really grateful that that opportunity came along and that I was able to kind of shift directions and it made me into a different climber. Fascinating. Yeah. So, and it's a really special route. It looks amazing. I don't even know if we we mentioned this a little context for listeners is that Odin's Eye is a 14C in Flatanger, which is a big granite cave in Norway. Yep. And you already spoke about the style a little bit. Um, I'm curious about your bouldering. So you just described the kind of sessions that you're doing at home now. What about at the climbing gym? Are you bouldering on normal gym boulders or are you using the moonboard or a spray wall? How are you thinking about that? Um, I just climb on the boulders of the gym. Um, since I live in Colorado, like we're so spoiled here and there's so many gyms. So you can kind of just like float around to each gym. And like by the time you get back to the first gym, all the sets have changed. Okay. So you never really get tired of the boulders. So yeah, spoiled Colorado climbers. But yeah, I just sessioned the the boulders at the gym because they're often super powerful. Like you don't, I think nowadays, like with the World Cup problems, they're getting more technical, but you know, traditional boulders at the gym are set by guys and they're often like pretty tall guys. And so that means you're having to jump to moves and do like these really powerful shouldering moves. And I think that's exactly what I need in my climbing. Mm. And so it actually worked out really well. And I feel like I'm also at a level where I don't max out the boulders in the gym. So like a lot of these strong boulders, there aren't hard enough boulders set in the gym for them to have like a good session. But for me, it's perfect because the hardest ones are too hard, which means there's like, you know, just the whole span of being able to like have a complete session and pretty much try all the boulders in the gym and come out super tired. And I think my strategy is I just project the whole day mostly. Okay. I just choose boulders that are really hard for me and sometimes I send them, but more often I'm just working the moves. And I think that's a mentality that is really helpful is that the purpose in the gym is not to send stuff. So like if you're completing all the problems you try, you're probably climbing on stuff that's too easy, depending on what you're trying to work on. But for me, I'm trying to work on power. So I need to be falling the majority of the time. And so I'll just try moves that feel really impossible. And then like, you know, maybe my third or fourth day trying those boulders if I do like go back to the same gym which I often do I'm mistakenly said that I never (laughs) repeat the same set and so like they take a long time to be able to to even do a single move and so that's the key for me is just trying really hard stuff and I think when you're climbing on something that feels above your head it forces you to try really hard because if you're climbing on something that's within your limit you don't have to try as hard as you possibly can. You can try like pretty hard and still stick it. But when you're climbing on something that feels impossible, your only option is to put like 110% effort. And so I think climbing on things that are too hard demands that effort of you. So that's what I focus on. Do a lot of your sessions look similar? Yeah, they're pretty much all the same. Okay. (laughs) I'll do like 20 to 30 minutes of warm up, which is just either I'll like boulder around on the spray wall to start and then climb some easy boulders. I'll just sort of like work up through the grades depending on what the gym's grading system is, but maybe I'll try and do like two or three problems of each grade until I get to a level where 
I'm having to start trying a bit hard and then I'll skip to like the hardest grade that I can project. Okay. So I don't want to like burn myself out climbing boulders that I can do with a lot of effort. I want to skip to boulders that I can't do with a lot of effort. And then as I get tired, I'll like sort of work my way back down. But I rarely climb until I'm totally exhausted. That's when I tend to get hurt is when I overtrain or just like push it too hard. And I used to think that that held me back from getting everything I could out of a training session. But now I realize that rest is just really crucial to my training. And so if I can try as hard as I absolutely can for two hours, that's better than, you know, kind of bumbling around or trying moderately for five hours. I just see a lot of people having these really long sessions in the gym and maybe that works for them. But depending on what type of climbing you do, you don't always need to just be fatigued all the time. Like I would think unless you're climbing big walls, then you don't want to be fatigued. Like you want to be able to do hard moves when you're pretty fresh or like, or when you're pumped, not fatigued. Mm. Yeah. I focus on quality over quantity. Are you mixing in outdoor climbing with your bouldering sessions like that? Or do you focus on just gym climbing it for chunks of time? How do you think about that? It's somewhat seasonal. So like normally when I'm home in Colorado, I'll mostly just climb in the gym because we're lucky to have so many gyms and I'm actually not home that often. So it's, I love climbing in the gym because that's where I started. The first 10 years of my climbing were in the gym. And so it's kind of like my comfort spot. It's where I have the most fun. Like I love climbing in the gym. (laughs) And so when I'm home, I'll focus on training. And then when I'm on trips, I'll only climb outside and I won't do any other training. So, you know, a lot of people will be on a month long trip and they'll also be hangboarding and like going on runs and doing all these things. And I just project. And a typical climbing day outside for me is like one warm up if there's a warm up available. And then I'll try my project twice and then that's it. Wow. That's not totally sustainable. Like, If I was on a trip longer than a month, I would start to get weak doing that. But if I'm really trying to project something and I'm getting close, like I really want to conserve as much energy and skin as I can. And so I just put everything I have into those two burns. And then I'm actually really sore after those two burns. So that's how I can tell that I tried really hard because if you're trying as hard as you absolutely can, like your body does get exhausted and it gets really powered down. And so I'm sore most of the time after I climb, even though I'm not climbing for super long sessions. So that's kind of my jam. Okay. Do you have a, like a schedule for your climbing days on a trip like that, where you're focusing on one project? Like, do you go day on day off or what does that look like? Pretty much. I mostly climb day on day off, whether I'm training or climbing outside. And I used to say the ideal is two days on one day off, but that just doesn't really work for me. It's too much climbing and not enough rest. And so one day on one day off, it's not as many it's some, I think it's scary for people because it feels like you're not making use of the days you have, but you're actually making better use because you're really able to give everything you have on those days rather than just being tired and like, you know, again, kind of bumbling around. So, and it depends, like if I'm, if I'm still working out the beta and stuff, then I'll climb two days on and then sometimes rest two days in a row or just one day. But when I'm trying to send it's definitely one day on one day off or even one day on two days off. Okay. So that is so interesting and helpful. Thanks for all that. Yeah. It's kind of unusual, but I found that that's what works for me. And 
I think that's the thing about climbing is like everyone has to find what works for them and just adopting someone else's training cycle or someone else's schedule is not going to work. And if I did that, I think like I would have tendonitis and sore shoulders and hmm. like be climbing really poorly. But instead I found what works for me and people are always like, you're going to rest again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. <laughs> so yeah, you kind of have to be confident in, in what works for you. Totally. No, this is really great insight. I mean, the trap for me always is a tendency to do too much. And I th- right. I suspect that's the case for most of the people listening to this. It's probably more of that than not doing enough. One thing that really resonated that you just said was the way you approach your gym bouldering session where you skip the stuff that's hard but doable. Mm-hmm. That's really great insight. That's like where I get stuck all the time. I like plan to try something really, really hard and I end up just burning myself out trying something pretty hard and never get to the really hard thing. Yeah, exactly. And I think we also fall into the trap of um, wanting to build confidence in the gym. Mm. It's like we want to feel good about ourselves after a training session. We want to be like, oh, I feel strong. I climbed really well. But that means you're sending stuff and that means you weren't trying hard enough. Um, (laughs) So like I don't accomplish a lot in my training sessions, but I accomplish like long-term building strength. And so again, like I just don't think if you're trying to train for outside, the goal of climbing in the gym is not to send things. It's like to prepare yourself. And that can be a hard mental shift because it can make your sessions frustrating if you're not just like topping stuff out all the time. Do you have climbing trips where you focus more on on siding or on mileage and things like that? No, I okay. never have. Really? <laughs> um, no. I mean, the few times I've on-sided routes, it's just sort of random. Like I have started to try lately on trips to do like a bonus route at the end of the day, either after my two project burns, or sometimes I'll just do one project burn and then a random route. And I'll try and like on site that random route. I just love projecting. Like that's, what's fun to me is kind of beating myself against the wall and, and feeling like something's totally impossible and then unlocking it and being able to make links and then put it all together. So like smaller projects or on site or flash flashing just don't have the same appeal to me but i realized too that that means i'm going on trips and like climbing one route at a really cool area Mm. and so i'm not really getting a taste for the whole area and so that's maybe not ideal so i've tried to branch out a little bit but i tend to always just get sucked back into some hard route that i want to try i want to circle back to a couple things real quick before we move on sure one is the weightlifting and the TRX stuff that you're doing. I remember listening to a conversation that you did with Neely Quinn a long, long time ago on her training beta podcast. And I remember at the time you were explaining that like the only exercise that you really do that you did at the time was push-ups. I think you were talking about climbing on to bolt or not to be and your triceps were getting pumped. And just by doing your pushups that, that really helped you out. And it's interesting. It sounds like you're doing a lot more exercises now. And I'd be curious to know, is there, are there any new exercises that you've integrated into your training that you wish you'd started doing a long time ago? I mean, I think we can always wish that we like figured something out before, but I don't think that's how it works. Like I think everything I did previously led me to the point I am today Mm. and if I incorporated the things I'm doing now into my system 10 years ago I wouldn't have been ready for it 
I have to kind of like believe in my process and believe that I figured out what worked for me in the moment and that, you know, just jumping the gun and skipping ahead wouldn't have been the best path. Um, mm -hmm. And you kind of have to like build your base. And I think I'm pretty good at figuring out what I need to work on intuitively. And so at the time, like I was still sport climbing, obviously, but I would never get pumped in my forearms. My triceps would just get like flaming pumped. And so I was like, <laughs> okay, something's so wrong. That's not how it's supposed to work. <laughs> and I don't think that meant my forearms were strong. I just think I had such a weakness in my triceps. And I actually had some injuries from that. Like I would get pretty bad elbow tendonitis when I bouldered too much. So I didn't boulder for a long time because my elbows would always hurt. And that's sort of where the push-ups came from. So I would do tricep push-ups, so where you keep your elbows in. Most people do like the wider push-ups for your shoulders, but I would just do tricep push-ups. And I do remember when I was working on to bolt, like I was staying at Ian and Kristen's, and every night, this is <laughs> this sounds pretty lame, but I would do ten push-ups every night, and that was like a thing for me. And those, it was a fight to get through those ten. And I didn't do multiple sets because I didn't want to be destroyed the next day. But like that was enough to kind of just slowly build and help get some endurance for my triceps. And it totally worked. And now I don't really do push-ups ever. <laughs> but I think at the time, like if I had jumped to what I do now, like I would have gone really bad tendonitis or mm. I just wouldn't have been able to resolve that tricep problem. And so I just really try and focus on what's my weakness in the moment. And so... And also what I have available. So like the last few months with COVID, at first we didn't have a wall in our basement. So we had a hangboard and a TRX and that was kind of it. So I started a new finger strength workout. I don't even know if you'd call it finger strength. It was on the hangboard and I think it's from Tyler Nelson and it was on training beta. His and it was simple, about- Simple finger strength program? Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, And this was the first- I had done that and I only did it for about maybe five weeks because then once we got our home wall I kind of like lost my momentum on the hangboarding okay <laughs> but um I feel like I have naturally pretty strong fingers since I started climbing really young but the simple finger strength training it was about like a lot of one arm hangs and either loading really slowly and then pulling as hard as you can which for me meant my feet were still on the ground or like really fast loads where you would just hop onto the board. And I think it just engages that like really fast, quick contact strength, which is what we need climbing often when we like jump towards holds. So that's something I've incorporated recently. I campus on and off. I don't do it too consistently again, because I'm just worried about like my elbows and my shoulders can be kind of sensitive, but I'll do, I'll campus in like four week cycles normally like pre-trip or like in the early stages of working a project if it's close to home and that just helps with my lock-off strength i think that's something else that i'm pretty weak at is lock-offs and yeah then i trx i did a lot of that in the early stages of lockdown just like tricep exercises biceps rows flies like kind of all the traditional weightlifting moves but with a trx and then there's a few videos I like to follow online. They're all body fit by Amy. She is not a climber, but <laughs> her workouts for the TRX are quite good. And I feel like I get a really good workout. So I do the arms one and the abs. So 
Awesome. I'll follow up with you on that and make sure that I link to those in the show notes for people. Yeah, they're good. Another thing I wanted to circle back to was the protein thing. Okay. I'm curious, do you have a sense of, were you tracking? Like, do you know how many grams of protein roughly you were eating before you made that shift and then what you ended up at? I don't, I don't track what I eat at all. Um, I feel like it, for me, it's not beneficial to track what I eat because that makes me obsessive about it. Okay. And then that can lead to problems. And I think it's really important to just eat what I need. So like, if I'm hungry, I eat. And if that's, you know, like seven times a day, then that's fine. And if it's three times a day, that's also okay. And my diet changed a lot when I met my husband. He's from South Africa and they eat a lot of meat, but also just a lot of fat. And at the time I was eating a really, really low fat diet and I would buy like fat free everything and eat like rice cakes and you know, it was not a good diet and it wasn't working. Hmm. And I had stomach aches all the time. And I remember going shopping with him early on and he was like, no, we're not buying fat free stuff. And so I kind of converted to full fat everything. And almost immediately I lost like 10 pounds from going from a fat free diet to full fat. And so interesting. Yeah, it is really fascinating because I think climbers are so fearful of fat and I eat a really, really high fat diet now. Like I eat a lot of butter and I don't avoid fat at all. Like I'll often add it to my meal. Like Arian will often make a steak and then pour butter over it. Okay. Which is delicious. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Oh my gosh. (laughs) But I think that's what my body needed. And my weight has been really consistent ever since, but I try not to focus on it. I don't know when the last time I weighed myself. I have no idea how much I weigh. Hmm. It's more just about how I feel. And like, I, I shouldn't be hungry um, ever. Like climbers go to sleep hungry and I'm just like, I don't think that's a good way for your body to recover. Um, and so, so I guess the protein kind of started with that and then really ramped up for, for flat hanger. But I don't track quantities. I know you mentioned Neely Quinn. Um, she's one of my really close friends and she's a really talented nutritionist and she's helped me a lot, um, with my diet, even though I'm all over the place with, with what I eat. And she once, she was like, what did you eat today? And she added it all up and she was like, I've never heard of such a strange composition. And I think it was like just so much fat and, and quite a lot of protein, but I really have to try to eat a lot of protein. So I'm trying to incorporate like a lot of chickpeas and beans and I'll eat, I do eat quite a bit of meat. And then I recently started taking protein powder from Fizzy Vantage. And I really like their protein powder because it doesn't make my stomach hurt. It also has digestive enzymes in it. Um, But I kind of have a sensitive stomach. So that's been really helpful for me. And it's just a supplement to make sure I get a little bit more protein each day. And I still think I'm not getting the protein that I should. I'm not a nutritionist. This is just from like friends and Googling and whatnot. But I think I should get like 70 to 90 grams of protein. And I think everyone has an opinion on like what the appropriate amount is. And maybe like I feel fine and I'm climbing well. So maybe the amount I'm consuming is is working for me. But I would guess I'm getting around like 50 or 60 grams a day. So maybe that's my ideal. Maybe it's fine. But I have been taking 
protein powder each day for the last couple of months. And I also recently started taking collagen. I've done pretty well with injuries over the years. Like I've had some overtraining injuries, but nothing like super bad, but I want to keep it that way. And so collagen is just great for tendons and ligaments and kind of gives me that extra confidence that like everything in my fingers is solid, but it's also really helped. This doesn't even matter to climbers. I'm just rambling, but it's helped my skin. I have really bad acne. And so it's really helped my skin a lot, which is super exciting. So yay, collagen. We all have skin, so it is relevant. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I wouldn't say I've noticed a difference in my fingertip skin. Okay. So we'll see. Well, Paige, I'd like to shift gears a little bit. Something I really appreciate about you is that you always seem to be, it always seems that it's important to you to be doing work that matters. You know, beyond your climbing, it seems like you're using your platform to draw awareness to a cause that you care about, or, you know, more often than not, it seems like you're hands-on actually doing the work. I remember following your Lead Now tour that you did years and years ago, and I've read a lot of what you've written about the South Africa Education Fund. Am I getting that right? Yes, Southern Africa Education Fund. So what does that look like now? What are you doing now that you're excited about as far as that goes? So I started SAFE... I think four years ago, because my husband Arian's family farmed table grapes in South Africa and Namibia. And we would live in Namibia for two months of every year for the harvest season. And it's super remote up there. The nearest town is three hours away, but really the nearest town is eight hours away. And so it's pretty remote. They don't have a lot of resources. And it's this pretty small village. And the government doesn't recognize it as a formal town or even a settlement. So the government doesn't put any resources in either. And so they're really just having to make do with what they have. And I didn't have any experience in education or really even nonprofit work. I mean, that had started with Lead Now where I was like, how can I use climbing for something good? And so I was like, I'll try and climb a 514 every month and raise money for different nonprofit organizations in each country we went to. And that was really cool and opened my eyes to nonprofit work because we got to meet up with each organization and make like a little commercial for each organization. So I got to see firsthand a lot of the work they were doing, even though I myself wasn't directly helping. I want to be obvious about that. Mm -hmm. Um, But we were just raising money. And there were like a lot of flaws in that, in the way we did that, but it opened my eyes to nonprofit work. And I was like, how can I make a difference? And it doesn't need to be climbing related. And so we worked in Namibia and I just saw like their school was built for 350 kids, but it was serving 800 kids because the village had grown so quickly. So the kids go to school for half days. And so that means for most of the day, you have like elementary age kids just wandering around on the streets and they don't have a lot of like direction during the day. And I just compared that to what I grew up with. I had like all the privileges in the world. Like I had a family who picked me up from school and made dinner and like drove me to climbing team practice and, you know, a school where I was challenged and was prepared for the next steps I wanted to take in life. And so I just felt like that was kind of becoming my community in a way. If we were going to spend two months of the year there every year and then also visit throughout the year to check up on the farms. Like I just wanted to do something. And so we decided to start building classrooms 
to add on to the school. I didn't want to get involved in programmatic stuff because I don't have experience and I didn't want to just jump in and be like, oh, I have solutions and I know what I'm doing. Because if you haven't lived there, you have no idea what is needed and what we as like white Americans think is needed is so different from what they actually need. Hmm. And so I really wanted to like empower the school to be able to make those changes. They just needed the space. They needed classrooms. And so I was like, cool, I can raise money and build classrooms. And so, so far we've built eight. Actually, the the last four are being built right now. They should be finished really soon. I think school actually opens back up in a week um, and they have to do all the social distance stuff, even though the cases of COVID in Namibia are really low. So the classrooms are helping with social distancing, but then hopefully eventually they'll be able to switch to going to full days of class. But yeah, I just kind of saw a need that the government wasn't meeting and people there didn't have the resources, but you still want the teachers like to feel that someone's investing in them and that they have what they need to invest in the kids. And so really it's not at all about what I did. I just kind of provided some space for them to use. And we took a corner of the farm and cut that off and gave it to the school. And so that's their land now with new classrooms. And then we built a big playground for the kids because they had never like hung from anything or stood on top of anything because they live in reed shacks. And so, you know, hanging off of stuff was a big part of my childhood. So now they have a playground, which is really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And now, you know, like with everything going on right now, like I think we all have a lot of work to do and I do as well. Like there's so much I don't know and I'm learning about. And so I'm really open to figuring out where that next step is for me and how I can personally make a difference and like encourage brands to just be more representative of who's in the outdoors and to make everyone feel comfortable there. And like whether it's being able to mentor new climbers or climbers who want to be professional athletes, like I'd love to do that. And, you know, I don't have like, I can just share my, what I've learned over the years, which isn't anything crazy or life-changing, but I think I've had a lot of mentors throughout my life who have just encouraged me along the way and been like, try this or, you know, just help me build excitement and confidence in myself. And so if I could help others build that same confidence, I think that would be really cool. And that if that could spread throughout our community, it would make a really big difference. Is there a way that people can connect with you for mentorship right now? Or is that just something you're starting to think about? Um, Yeah, folks are welcome to reach out. Like I have all my contact information is on my website, pageclausen.com. And I'd love for folks to reach out. I don't exactly know what that works like, looks like. Like I don't have a formal setup or anything. But yeah, I just, you know, these are all things we should have been listening to so long ago but now it's like everyone's focus is finally there and i think we just have to keep that momentum going and be open to continuing to learn but also like take actions and some of that is really large scale and some of that is on an individual level of saying like this is what i can do in my small way you know to include people and just elevate other voices so I'm learning and I'm definitely going to keep messing up, I'm sure. But hopefully I can learn from those mistakes and we all can.
So yeah, I think we're, we're living in an exciting time. Yeah. Yeah. We, but are. we have a long way to go still. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Paige, I know we have limited time today and I want to respect your time. I just have a couple more quick questions that I ask everybody that I'd love to ask yeah. you before we get off here. First off, what is something that you are especially grateful for lately? Um, I mean, I'm grateful for so many things. I feel like I'm so lucky to have the family I have. I think that my parents have really shaped who I am as a person and they've encouraged me in climbing so much. I mean, climbing is a lot more mainstream now, but when I was growing up, I don't think most parents like dream of their kids being a professional climber. It's kind of like a dirtbag sport, but it's changing a bit. But they've just been so supportive of me and like encouraging me to to push myself and and chase after what I want. And so I'm just really grateful for for them and their encouragement and also just being able to live close to them. We used to go back and forth between South Africa and the US and so we weren't home very much and it was always pretty scattered, but I'm really grateful to be close to my family and, you know, especially during this time when there's just so much unsettlement and like all of the change with COVID, it's nice to be close to my family and still be able to see them. And, hmm. you know, I hope that I can provide the relationship I have with my parents to my kids someday. Hmm. So they're definitely great examples to look up to. Awesome. I have a couple of questions from your second parents, <laughs> back to the Yurdens. Oh, the Yurdens. <laughs> yeah, I crowdsourced part of this interview. I was like, hey, guys, what are some interesting questions? Kristen had a great <laughs> one. She actually talked about this in my interview with her as well. But she wants to know, first off, she says, it's refreshing to see an athlete climbing at this level that enjoys food. <laughs> she really appreciates that <laughs> about you. But she wants to know, what is your current favorite climbing snack? That's a good question. I feel like I'm I'm kind of all over the board and lately it's been like what's convenient. So just what's in the cupboard. And with COVID, you don't go to the grocery store very often. So you're like, what can I make out of what's available? <laughs> um, lately, we've been taking box macaroni in a bag to the crib. Like leftover. <laughs> not necessarily something I'm proud of. And Kristen's really not going to be impressed by that. Like in a Ziploc? Um, yeah. <laughs> How do you eat it? With a spoon? Yeah, with a spoon. <laughs> um, but I'll often bake stuff to take up to the crag. Like sometimes I'll take leftover pancakes or French <laughs> toast or I like to bake cookies. I definitely eat a lot of sugar and a lot of butter. And so I think I just need fuel at the crag. Mm. And I think the Yardens always like to laugh because they have to stock up on snacks before I come to visit because I'm kind of always hungry. And... Mm. And I normally end up eating at least half of their sandwiches during the day. They'll be, I don't know. I'm good. I don't need it. It's like classic parent mode where you like let your kid have the food. Um, That's fantastic. But they would come from the end of the day with their sandwich still left. And, and so I started to, to eat them during the day. So I'm a real mooch. <laughs> Interesting. So with your higher protein and higher fat thing, you're still eating carbs and some sugar too. Definitely. I mean, I'm not afraid of carbs at all. I think when I eat too much bread, it makes my stomach hurt. But yeah, I eat a lot of rice. There's flour in the pancakes that I eat. Aryan makes homemade bread a lot. And that 
doesn't always sit well with my stomach, but it is delicious. Um, and he's been baking a lot of cinnamon rolls, sourdough cinnamon, cinnamon rolls during lockdown. Oh my gosh. So those have been great. And I just haven't had to pack crag snacks as much lately because we've mostly been climbing on the home wall. Mm-hmm. So doing a lot more cooking at home and, and just like making use of the ingredients we have. Got you. It sounds like you and Aryan both love to cook. Is there a favorite meal that you guys like to cook on a budget? Mm, that's a good question. When we're camping, we've been liking to make fish tacos. Mm. So there's these tortillas you can buy that are like partially cooked or ready to cook. There's a bunch of different brands. They're refrigerated and you just like put them in a pan and they fluff up and they taste like fresh tortillas. So we'll use those and then get fish and coat them in panko crumbs and fry that up and then make a salsa with mango and avocado. Oh my gosh. Mangoes are in season right now. And so that's been our go-to like camping meal lately. That sounds incredible. Yeah. I think when you can, I mean, fish isn't cheap, but the rest isn't too bad. And then you can kind of have leftovers to take to the crag or we'll eat like a lot of sweet potatoes and chickpeas. Actually, a favorite right now, we've been making buffalo cauliflower. So, like, instead of buffalo chicken, buffalo cauliflower. And that's super cheap and really delicious. And then you make a dipping sauce with plain yogurt and sriracha. Mm -hmm. And we have that a couple times a week. So, kind of find what we like and then just keep making the same things. Normally, I cook on the majority of nights, just, like, standard nights at home. But then when people come over, like, pre-COVID... That's when Arian likes to cook. He likes to make a performance of it. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, a couple of questions from Ian. Okay. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> the first one, he said, you've climbed three or four 14Ds pretty fast. How much of a difference do you think it would take to climb 15A? And is that something that you are hoping and trying to do? Ooh, well, I think I've only climbed like one or two 14Ds, <laughs> so I don't think Congratulations I have... on shadow boxing, by the way. Oh, thanks. Yeah. That was that was, your most recent one? That was one? really fun. Yes. I spent last fallout in Rifle with Neely, and we had an awesome time and got a project together, and it was cool to support each other on the routes we were trying, and yeah, it's just fun to have that partnership, so that made a big difference in the that process, but um, I don't feel like I've done enough roots at my limit to know like I don't have a very good grasp on grades I feel like they're just all so dependent on style and like the techniques involved and luckily I've learned how to knee bar and toe hook so that's opened up a few more doors so that things don't feel as limiting but I think I'm capable of climbing 15a it's just you know there aren't a lot of 515s in the US. Mm -hmm. And so, like, finding the time to go during the right season and, like, really devote the time to projecting something. I think it would take me a pretty long time. Like, I would need a good chunk of time. And so, I just haven't found the route that I'm willing to, to, like, set that time aside for. Obviously, Spain's a great place to go try really hard sport routes. But right now, with traveling, like, that's not an option. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of other hard routes that I'm really motivated to try in North America, even though they're not 515. And 
Of course, I would love to climb 515, but I think it's more important that I climb what I'm psyched on. And so if it's a 14D that's like really cool and has an awesome story and is like a special line that I'm motivated by, I guess that's more important to me than just seeking out a route just because it's 515. But yeah, that is still a goal. And I think I'm capable. I just, it's going to take the right route in the right time. If you don't mind, I'd love to ask, as far as what you were just talking about, you know, routes in America that um, you're inspired by, are there any that are at the top of the list? Um, I'd really like to return to Dreamcatcher in Squamish. Um, awesome. Aryan and I tried it uh, like six years ago and it felt doable. And I think I'm a totally different climber than I was then. So we're hoping to return sometime soon, but I don't know if that'll be you know, first it has to be legal and then it has to be like the responsible thing to do. So we'll see what plays out this fall or next year. But that's, that's definitely at, at the top of my list. So it's just so beautiful. <laughs> cool. I look forward to the time when I get to read about you climbing back there up on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's see how it goes. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be just as hard as last time. But... <laughs> Okay, final question. This is from Ian as well. What's the most fun part of climbing for you? Hmm. I think that's changed over the years. I used to get really frustrated with myself and put a lot of pressure on myself and have really high expectations that weren't always reasonable. Hmm. And so I've changed my outlook over the last few years that as long as I have learned something on each attempt, then it was a success. And so I found that's been really helpful. And it's also so much fun. Like you fall off the top of your project or you have a burn that you would maybe not consider the best or up to your expectations. But if you learned something like you found a new foot or you realize that you need to like rest a little longer or whatever it is, then you've set yourself up to have a much better attempt next time. And so I think just like my, the mindset is really fun of being able to kind of obsess over something, but also be like, okay, I'm going to put all the effort in I can today and then rest. And then the next day I try it, I'm a different climber than I was the previous day because I've built strength from that session. And so to like return to the route each day, being a better climber is really cool. And I think that mentality just makes climbing fun rather than frustrating. Hmm. And that's been a big change for me. Yeah. That's helped a lot. <laughs> Cause like if we're not having fun, there's no point. And <laughs> totally. for a while I just be like, oh, I, I didn't do as well as I should have. Hmm. And like, what should we be doing? Like it's all arbitrary anyway. And so kind of just shifting my goal for hmm. the day and for each attempt has has been a lot of fun. So the should thing. Yeah. It's all expectations <laughs> and ego. Totally. And like we're the only ones that care, you know? Like, you don't care how, I mean, you, you're you invested in, in your partner's attempts, but like, it doesn't change how you value them or their worth. So you're obviously psyched for them when they make progress, but like, you wouldn't think any less of them if they didn't. It's just how we value ourselves. And so, I don't know, just to try and treat ourselves. It's like treat others as you would treat yourself, but also treat yourself as you would treat others because mm. we're often a lot like kinder to other people than we are to ourselves. I love that. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so. 
Well, Paige, thank you so much for your time today. This has been so much fun. Um, I had such a great time interviewing Ian and Kristen, and they both talked about you, and I was really hopeful to complete the Yurden family. <laughs> so, Casbah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get Casbah on the show. You're totally right. <laughs> yeah. No, I have so much fun with those guys, and they just always have really thoughtful questions, and, and you do as well. Thanks for for bringing some really interesting questions to the table. It, it makes it really fun to talk about. And yeah, so thanks for sitting down and having me and look forward to hearing more content from you. I always enjoy listening to your to your episodes. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And it is yeah. my, my pleasure to talk to you. Awesome. All right. Well, enjoy your day. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you as well. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Okay. Bye, Stephen. Bye, Paige. Shake it up, stop when the cup gets dirty. Sing one, two, three, four. Cause, 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 no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it.